best ever. And in fact, there's a blank in the middle there, and we're going to fill in that blank. Best something ever. It's actually a relationship series. We're going to take the next uh, couple of weeks to talk about relationships. Uh, friendships is part of that. We're going to dive into the next week, but also marriages and other things. And so we want you to experience the best you fill in the blank ever. The things that pop in your mind, the things that you long to see and experience, I want you to be able to experience that. In fact, your Heavenly Father, God, wants you to experience that as well. And so we're going to begin to engage that over the next several weeks. And I want to encourage you to lean in because no matter what the topic is, this impacts every single one of us. About 10 years ago, I think it's about 10 years ago, uh, I was traveling with my family. And if you know me, I have uh, three kids. At this point in time, it was three really young kids. We had just passed, uh, we were going to fly together. All of us, there's five of us, you know, all of us going to fly for the first time all together. And everybody was uh, two years old and up. So we had to ticket everybody. So everybody had a, a seat. And at the time, and it feels like ages ago now, and I don't even know what policies are, but we were, we were flying where everybody was allowed to have uh, two check bags for free which seems impossible now, but anyway, <laughs> everything seems impossible now, actually, just having a bag. Like, I'm, I fly to where my parents live, and the airline, uh, it's like I, whatever I can fit into a laptop bag is what I get. Anyway, so uh, but everybody could have two check bags, and then, uh, and then a carry-on and a personal item, no joke. But then when we have kids, you, like, have this other list. Like, you're allowed, on top of that, to uh, have a car seat, and like stroller, you can gate check a stroller. And so I added it all up, everything we could possibly bring between the five of us. And it was, I think it was 27 pieces of luggage, which is astounding. And we are not trying to do that. We are trying to be as minimal as you can with that many kids. You know, they're all super young. And so I, I narrowed it down. It was somewhere between 10 and 15, which is still outrageous. It's like we felt, I felt, I don't think it's accurate, but like a Kardashian type entourage happening. Like I had the, you know, the air cart smart cart thing, you know, and like piled up like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, it's, it was 6 a.m. at Newark Airport, which is such a happy place. It's amazing at 6 a.m. What, what are you laughing about? Everybody was so excited to see us and the gate check people, the security. We were so happy to be there, right? You know, um, apparently you guys have been there that early in the morning. So, you know, it wasn't that, that great. We were, we were trying to get through it. And our kids, I mean, there, it was crazy, and so we had, but I had all this luggage has really gotten away, and we finally made the plane, and I'm relaxing, and then my son, the whole trip was just this with the, the airplane, you know, the uh, window thing, and that's all he did the whole flight. He was excited. Um, anyway, so there you go. You know, flying and taking all this luggage with you is not easy, and uh, it wasn't very fun, but we made it to, to get on the plane, all those different types of things. Well, how does that, I'm going to transition hard here, so here we go, but like when it comes to relationships, when it comes to your marriage especially, every single one of us, just as seriously as we pack bags for trips, you are packing bags, you're bringing luggage with you into the marriage. So today I want to talk about how can we engage, how can we have the best marriage ever? So if you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm not married, so this is totally out. Like, actually, this is, no matter who you're at in any stage of life, whether you, you're single, you're maybe one day want to be married, or you're like, I'm not getting married for a long time, or you think that's the case. I've had so many people say that, and two years later, they're married, and like, it's just crazy things happen. Uh, wherever you this, all of this is incredibly relevant. We need to understand and know these things. We're going to talk about some of the best things that we've talked about before, principles, when it comes to marriage. But we all 
bring some type of baggage or luggage into marriage. And we don't realize it. And then suddenly it comes up one day, somehow. And so it's, 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 it's interesting how we think and view relationships, especially how culture influences things in good and bad ways. And there's this, there's this scripture I want to start with just to get you thinking. This is out of Proverbs, and Proverbs is full of just incredible wisdom. You can pick any topic, but you pick relationships or marriage, and there's so many things that, that impact it. And I want to read, this is found in Proverbs 14, 12, and here's what it says. It says, there is a way, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to us, but its end is the way of death. There's so many things that we, we follow our hearts, and we pursue something, we go off the emotion of whatever it is, and we're like, man, this is awesome, and you just pursue it, engage it, and then you're like, whoa, it brought so much pain and agony. And maybe somebody warned you, like, no, this is right, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, and then the consequence of this just keeps happening, it keeps happening, this happens to all of us. And everything around us says, just follow your heart. Love is just love. You know, you just, whatever you want to pursue, that's good for you. And so scriptures all the time are warning about this. And this, this Proverbs, this very wise person is saying here, no, 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 be careful. Actually, blindly following your hearts is a really bad idea. Now, your emotions and your heart are important. They are speaking to us. But when it leads the way, it actually clouds our judgment. And we need to be careful because things that can seem like the right path can actually lead us towards destruction. And that's a huge thing for us to think about, especially when we talk about a significant forever type of commitment. So what I want to begin to introduce to us today, and some of you have heard this before, but is begin to think about who you are becoming. Who you are becoming. Because one day, if you're married, you're going to be sitting there and there's going to be this, you know, luggage, this thing, this, this trunk at the foot of your bed. And it might be really big, it might be smaller, but every single one of us has this. And it's going to impact everything that you do. And for some of you, that thing is there now, you see it, you're experiencing that. And, and we need to understand and know. So if, if you are someone who's not married yet, but even if you are married, this, this still applies. But what you live now, what you are doing now, the decisions that you make, who you date, what you do when you're dating, and all the just in your own life when you're not dating, the decisions that you're making now will tug, you will lug that, pull that, stack on an air car, have much luggage, 27, 15, I don't know what it is. You're going to bring that with you. You're going to lug that with you. And when you decide to take this big step in a relationship, and I hope you do. I hope you do. It's awesome. Marriage is amazing. God has made it to be an incredible thing for our lives, for you to experience in so many different ways, to have that partner with you, to go through life, and the joys of that, and the physicality, and everything that comes with marriage. I hope that you experience that. It's awesome. But when you take that big step, your past will be there as well to take that step with you. The past, and especially past relationships, but not just that, how you were raised, events that's happened in your life, your parents, others, your past has a tendency to hang around. 
especially when it's unwanted. And just like Vegas, whether, you know, they say that it doesn't stay in the past. <laughs> what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas either, right? And your past doesn't stay in the past. See, married people thought, married people thought that marriage was a new beginning. Like, I mean, I got this little line in front of me here. You guys really can't see it, but like, it's like, okay, I'm crossing this line. I've made this decision. I found this person. This is a new beginning. I'm going to say I do, and now, now I move forward. When really, many times, the only, and some of you don't, depending on your culture, background, the only thing that really changes when you say I do is your name. And everything else is kind of still the same. And so we have a, actually an upcoming pre-marriage class that I do with Engaged Couples. We have, we have one starting next week. And when I lead this class, I, I help them work on the inner, who they're becoming because of this. We get so focused on the event and getting there and just finding the person, we forget about what's going on inside of us, and that impacts everything. So what you do now, what you do now, it matters. And even for your current measure, your marriage, if you're in a marriage now, things that you're doing now can influence and impact your future in great ways and in negative ways. And so when it comes to marriages, we say, well, we have a marriage problem. So we say, well, in my marriage, you know, we we're just having marriage problems. That actually is not true. We don't have marriage problems in marriages. You know what we have? We have marriages with problems. <laughs> we have individuals with problems who got married. All right? That's what's really happening. It's not really any different than an individual with a problem. You just now have two individuals that are married that have problems together. And this is the same for my marriage as well, just so you know. All right? And then somehow we get into this, this marriage, and the past just sneaks into their present and started eating away and destroying their future. And this is what we want to understand and know that begins to set the stage and the foundation for us to have incredible marriages, to enjoy engaging, even dating relationships, whatever it may be for you right now. Now, we want to lay that incredible foundation for you to experience the bliss and the joy and the intimacy that God longs for you to experience in a marriage. My own marriage story, uh, my wife Erin and I, we are married, uh, we've been married now for 14 years, and so we're excited about that. Uh, and, you know, when we, we first got married, it was, you know, there was a lot of excitement. Uh, we we helped move the world from the Stone Age into the modern era. So I, I mentioned this before, but we, uh, we actually were pre-smartphone pre, uh, when we started dating. And we met online. And so, you know, that was happening. And for some people at the time, that seemed a little strange. But now it's like, what, what you do? And, and, but now it's app-driven. But we were pre-iPhone, pre just a couple of years away from the iPhone, all right? So we weren't that far in the distance. But anyway, and, uh, but now it's app-driven, which is great. It creates a great opportunity for people to meet each other. Uh, I think in an easier way many times, especially in places where you maybe have trouble meeting people. So it's an awesome thing to have. And so we are part of that. And my parents, of course, didn't understand. It was, it was so different at the time that we actually waited a long time before we even told them. And even then, my dad thought we met on eBay. And so that was really interesting. Uh, no joke. He was proclaiming that to people. And I was like, well, we'll just roll with this. All right. Uh, that's that's an interesting way. So anyway, so... Uh, when we were married, we, we, were, we had both lived in the Northeast, and we were trying to pursue uh, getting back here. And we were actually pursuing trying to get in New York. And, and so 
uh, we weren't living there at the time, and so we were, so we were trying to find a way, and, and I did, and I don't recommend doing this. This is not advice, actually, but seven months into our marriage, I quit my regular job so that we could begin to really pursue New York City and just find a way to get here, and that was the journey that eventually got us here, and God was in that, and, but I'm saying don't, that's not advice. <laughs> Uh, it's a pretty rare, but that was it's just in our first year of marriage. And so in preparation, we moved into this tiny little place. And it was actually very good because New York, you've got to move into tiny spaces usually anyway. But uh, it was so strange. It was at the end of this little airport runway that was used to train new pilots for small planes. No joke. It was a super tiny place. It was like a bathroom or bed and a tiny little kitchen thing. And then there was this deck. And, but we loved it. It was new. It was fun. And we were watching these planes, like, literally flying in like this. And it was a little, a little scary, but we, we learned to, get, to live with that. And, but we were in the middle of felt like nowhere, and we had a chance to just be by ourselves and, and walk and get to know each other. And that was awesome. We loved those couple of months that we were there. And God opened the doors, and we eventually did move here. And about 11 months into our marriage, and that was great. And I loved that time. But it wasn't all amazing either. And we had been single for a while when we were married. And so, you know, I remember we, we've talked about this a lot, but we were trying to work out our money and our budget. And we, we had all this confidence. We have both kind of had similar financial training. And so we thought, oh, we're going to just, this is work out great. But we had completely opposite views of how we should spend our money or how we should save our money. And, and our budget sessions were, not, were awful. Like, there was a lot of tears. Erin actually bit off a pen one time. She was, like, she was so stressed and not happy with what was going on. And so it's like, wow. And these things are popping up. And we're like, man, this is not what I wanted to see happen. And there was a lot of individual things that we had that we brought into our marriage that clashed with one another. Before marriage, we're like, oh, we have all these things in common. We all, and we did. We have a lot that, that works together. But there was also a lot of things that weren't. And this happens to every marriage. Every marriage, just so you know. <laughs> some of you are like, all right, that's why I'm not dating right now. I'm not getting married like I was going to. But this is actually the way God designed it. And when we have problems, we think something's not right. And so what happens is we typically believed what we call the right person myth. The right person myth. We think, all right, when I find, when I marry the right person, everything will be all right. So that's what, like, we're just pursuing, we're dating, we're, everything's around, okay, this, this person's got to fit this. When I find this right person, and when that's there, then, then it'll just lock in and we'll be good. I don't have to worry about the other things. The problem with this scenario is both people are doing the same thing, and like, we've got this whatever criteria that you've got to do this, and then it's like, well, how do you know? And so we're trying to figure out and it really, everything in the culture is about how do we know and find this out and prove that it's okay. And so, all right, so let's, let's go off of chemistry. You know, we have physical chemistry, we have emotional chemistry. We have this amazing connection. We've got to have that. And maybe you found somebody like, I've got this chemistry is off the charts. I can't get my mind off of him or off of her or the hands off of him or her. And the, maybe the physical intimacy was great. And you'll say, like, no one's ever had it like this before. And so you, we allow the sex or the physical and that, and that kind of criteria to define if this is the right relationship or not. And the only thing many times we worked on was the physical. And we're like, all right, it's just, in life we test drive a car, 
And to make sure everything is good, we try on sneakers. It makes sense. We should do this for a really long-term commitment. But the truth is, we didn't really know how to do a long-term commitment. We didn't know that our physical bodies are a lot different than cars and sneakers. <laughs> so you know, in studies, whether it's a study that's a Christian study or studies done by universities, non-religious studies constantly show us and show us that it's different. It's different. And these things impact us greatly. It doesn't actually help. It's fascinating. And so when things go wrong, things don't happen the right way, we're like, well, maybe it just wasn't the right person, and we move on. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes we do need to move on. Someone is not healthy for us. But I want you to know, it doesn't have to be this way. This doesn't have to be your future. And if, even in a current marriage, if, you're, if, you're, if you have struggles in your current marriage, I want you to know the handwriting is not on the wall. There is something incredible, different, better, that doesn't have to go along with that pattern. We want to begin to change our view of marriage and how it was designed and what it's supposed to look like. And yeah, it's going to have issues. That's actually part of the design. It's amazing. We don't want these things to happen. Culture is not against this. We, we long to experience great, deep relationships. We long for this to happen. And so we're going to begin to change our approach and our understanding. So let me walk through a couple of things here today. Just some core principles of what we know that God has given us. The first one is this, is that God gave us marriage. God has given us marriage. It's something that he created. Like, where, where did this idea of marriage happen in our world? Where did it come from? Like, it's amazing if you look across the world in cultures, religious, non-religious, it's just in us, this desire to be connected to one another and to be married, to have that person with us. It's in us. And we go back, and all of this comes from our Judeo-Christian roots, that God is, he's given it to us. In fact, he's almost like he's written it on our hearts. And what has he given us? Marriage is an amazing picture of who he is. It's a picture of unity and of beauty and of intimacy. That's what marriage is a picture of. We have a God, we, we, we worship the Godhead, the Trinity. So in unity with, with one another, they are one. And it's amazing because it shows us that it is a God in relationship, sacrificing for one another and loving one another. And he has made us to be in relationship, to experience that kind of unity, that kind of beauty. God is longing for you and I to experience the beauty that he has made us experience of who he is. That he is greater than anything else that we can pursue. He's, he has designed and made you to experience incredible intimacy and closeness. Where you can... Be essentially naked before someone else in a literal and physical sense, but also just in who you are. That someone can know you and you don't have to be afraid. It's amazing. And we see this over and over mentioned from the beginning throughout Scripture. And then Jesus affirms this for us in Mark's account of Jesus' life, he, 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 he uh, records this story, these words of Jesus, and Matthew does it. We'll read it here out of Matthew 
People were asking Jesus about marriage and divorce and how important it is. And this is what Jesus said, Matthew 19, 4 through 6. He says, haven't you read? He replied, and he was talking to some religious people. They would have known. <laughs> he was like, haven't you read this? Don't you know this? He was that, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, he said. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's amazing. Jesus is like, there is something powerful going on when a couple is united together. When they physically unite in this commitment of marriage, they are one. They're no longer two people. They become one. Paul refers to this as well in scriptures. He mentions this. He says, if you read through Ephesians 5, he begins to talk about relationships. He begins to talk about marriage, and he refers directly to these words of Christ, saying the two become one. And he begins to talk about how it's also marriage is this picture that God has given us as a picture of Christ in the church, how Christ came to sacrifice and give himself up what he, what he deserved for the church so that the church could be redeemed and full of beauty, and be restored, and be brought back to God in unity. It's amazing. It's this incredible picture of sacrifice that brings unity, and joy, and bliss, and intimacy, and all these things. It is a purposeful design to help us see and reflect the incredible beauty that God has for us. It also shows us the beauty of the church. As a church, and we have been, God, Christ has made a way for us to be brought back to God. And when we are united as a church, it brings glory to God and people are attracted to that. We need that. And marriages also help point us to this. And God wants you to experience that in your marriage. And I want you to notice a word in there that said, it says, the two will become, this word become, they will become one flesh. And as I mentioned, is this reflection, this is a strong emotional bond, and this is reflected even now. We understand this in deeper ways. Paul mentions this. He talks about how even two strangers who are united, who are united together physically, that they become one, that there's something deep that happens in you and I. And research has shown, we understand this in modern psychology. We're not caught up to this thousands of years later. But it is deep. It has an incredible impact on you and I. It's incredibly powerful, special. That's why we even legislate around these types of things, because of how powerful this is. And so the two become one. And there's this immediate, strong, emotional bond that happens. And then there's this continual work happening in you, that you're becoming one. So the goal in your marriage is to become one. You'll be happiest and have the most joy when you sacrifice and give up what you want for the other, the picture of a marriage is just that. To bring you towards joy, to bring you towards unity, intimacy. There is a place and an act of becoming. And so that means to see that happen, it'll take work. <laughs> yeah, I said it. In your marriage, it will take 
work and effort. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, 21. He says, he says, in your relationships with one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he begins to talk specifically in marriage, what this looks like for men, and it looks like for women, how we, women, how we love one another. And guys, the criteria is pretty heavy. It's like, you're, 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 your example is Christ. <laughs> he gave himself up what he wanted for her, for his church. And that's what you are to do. And for both of us, the picture of a phenomenal marriage is we're both trying to essentially out-serve, out-sacrifice one another. And there's a place we are becoming. And I love this picture of Christ because this past that we have, the luggage that we tow, I don't know if it's 10 pieces for you, 27, whatever it is, right? You know, like, he came to sacrifice, to bring us to redemption so that we didn't have to have that baggage anymore. And that redemption, being set free when the wrongdoing is done, brings us whole with him. And then he not only does that, but he restores us. He restores us. We are made right with God, and then he is doing a restoration work in you and I, and he uses marriage to restore you, if you allow that to happen. And it's incredible. That's why it says when Jesus went to the cross, it says, for the joy awaiting before him, he endured the cross. He brought on that sacrifice and that death he experienced for you and I, so we didn't have to. There was a joy that comes from that. And so God designed marriage to bring two people together. So that means the struggles that you have, conflict, guess what? That's by design. Two very individual people are coming together, and there's things that are going to butt heads. And if you don't believe me, and there's the young couples that are, that are on that track, they don't believe me. Like, I've, had, I've actually had that. And then years later, they come back, and they're like, yeah, we've, that happened. Okay, like, I'm telling you, like, it's two people. Like, it's by design that you will struggle. Problems, yes, that's going to happen. God wants to use that to refine you with one another if we allow him to do that work. For Aaron and I, for Aaron and I, this has absolutely been true. Where we have, we have seen that work in different levels at different stages of our marriage. At the beginning of our marriage, uh, you might have heard, like, we had a lot of changes happening. We uh, within the first year, we moved here to the city, and we are kind of had a lot of those changes happening. Within, uh, it was soon after that moving here, we found out we were pregnant with our first child. And uh, right after our first child was born, I actually lost my job that I had in the city. And then we began to navigate that, and we've had apartment problems a couple of different times. We've had a lot of just different stresses, and life for us was very intense for several years. And and we began to come out of that phase in life. We were starting a church here in 2015, and there's just so many things, and we were very purposeful and unified in that approach, and raising our children, it was amazing, and we look back and see God working, but that was a lot, and we had a lot to unpack from that, and I remember we worked hard individually in becoming healthy with, with each, you know, each other on our own, and, and we were learning to exhale from that, and if you ever have a lot of intense things happening in a marriage, I encourage you to pursue that type of thing. But it was fascinating, as we became healthier, 
And God is always doing a work of us. His grace is continually working in us. But as we became healthier, it actually created conflict in our marriage. As we became healthier, we actually began to struggle more in our marriage. Isn't that interesting? And so during the pandemic, we took time and worked on our marriage together. We were just at a place where God was moving us forward. And we worked with a professional on our marriage for months. And it was hard. (laughs) It was not easy. We had those hard conversations. We were at this place where God was moving us together, but it didn't feel like that. And I'm thankful for every ounce of energy that we invested during that time. It brought us to a greater level of understanding and love and unity and intimacy that we found. That place of struggle, we learned to look at it not as this is a problem, but this is God's design. And we learned to come towards one another because of those things. And that's what God wants. I love the grace of Jesus we experience. It's why you should consider becoming a follower of Christ because of that grace. So what does it look like to become? Let me read you through 1 Corinthians 13. Just a couple of verses. Love is patient. Love is patient. Meaning not pushy. Love waits on the other person. Love pushes me to give you more time than for stuff that I had been planning on. Wouldn't it be great to date a patient person? That'd be awesome. How do we become one? How, how do we do this? Well, you practice patience. Love is kind, meaning it's considerate. How can you practice a great marriage, becoming one in your marriage? Be kind. Learn to be considerate. Love does not envy. It says it does not envy. It means it allows the other person to shine. We can celebrate. Envy says, if I don't feel good about myself, then you can't feel good about yourself. No, we want to celebrate. We don't want to add on to their story to say, wow, you're incredible. I'll be a great person to date, right? It does not boast. Love does not boast. It is not proud. That doesn't sound very exciting. Like, if you're going to date somebody, like, these aren't very, like, this and this is incredible, right? And here's, this is an, a fascinating one. Love, verse 5 in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not dishonor others. This is huge. This one and the next one are so big. He says, we, What does that mean? Well, the phrasing here and the, what's coming out of the Greek, what I'm told, is that it does not, means that we do not behave disgracefully. We do not behave dishonorably or indecently, meaning it doesn't do anything that would cause the other person to have regrets. Wow. Ladies, wouldn't it be great to go out, out, to go out and not have to worry about how the night is going to end? Not wonder why someone is doing something or why they're buying another drink or guys. You know how unique it would be if you decided up front that you would never dishonor a woman? 
that you would never want to be a regret? If we had a world full of people like that, how much different would things be? Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Now this is the hard one. <laughs> this is fully countercultural. Everything around us says you need to find love for what you get. It's all about what you want. You, if you find that person, they'll give everything that you want. And the scripture is like, no, 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 love is not self-seeking. That's not what real love is. And God, who is love, his, his an absolute essence, who he is, is love. Any kind of love that we experience, it's only because it's come from him, because that's who he is. And that's what he's shown us. The God of love came and sacrificed himself for us. He gave up what he deserved so we could give what he deserved. It's incredible. That's what love is, not self-seeking. I don't know if you've noticed through all of that, none of those things come naturally. It takes work. So I'm, I'm short on time, so what does all this mean? What does all this mean? Well, in your current marriages, every good marriage that you know of has brought some kind of baggage in. We've all got luggage at the foot of the bed, all right? Just so you know. But God's design is for your marriage, for the two to become one. That's what he made it to be. The great, amazing, successful marriages you see are the ones that have walked through that. It is most successful when we deny ourselves for the other. We submit to one another. And this is what we want to look to do if we are looking for a marriage. And while we want to be like, that sounds not fun, I want you to know that there is an amazing unity, intimacy, and joy from a unified marriage that is incredible. It doesn't just automatically happen. No matter where your marriage might be today, God is longing to do a work in you and through you. If you are not married, it's so important to know God's design of marriage, of this incredible beauty, unity, and intimacy. And that's something that should be greatly desired. It's something to be desired. And you need to know that the decisions that you make now matter. You have incredible worth and value. God has made you an incredible person, given you an unreal value. The value that we long to experience in our world from one another, that only comes from God. It's the only place you can trace it to. Who are you becoming? Not, if I get married, everything will be all right. No, who are you becoming? That's what God is longing for us to focus on. There's a lot more that I could say about this. But we want to learn how to become. And that's why we read through 1 Corinthians 13. We want to learn to become those things. If you have questions about marriage, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. If you're someone who's about to be engaged, we're going to talk about this in depth in a marriage class this coming fall. Who are you becoming? How can you connect? Take steps to know your Heavenly Father and allow Him to do that work in you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much.
And God, I pray this wasn't too much or too intense. I pray today that we would know, no matter what our past has been, because of your love for us, that we can be redeemed and we can find that restoration in our marriages. That's the beauty of who you are. You came for all of us. You took it all upon you so we could give it up, find forgiveness, grace. And not only that, we can walk away from hurt. I pray that we would experience that in our marriages today, that we would, we would not give up hope or be dismayed by discouragement, that we would know those very things are what you want to use to lead toward joy and intimacy. I pray for those that are not married, that they would not, they would uh, be focused on incredible decisions for their life right now set themselves up for an incredible future that you long to have for all of us. We thank you and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.